You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 172. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. We are back this week after rave reviews, a few crying babies, and a further shock and awe at our Faces for Radio now revealed on our YouTube platform. We kick off this week's show with a brief discussion on the strong stock market gains to end July following the worst first half in U.S. markets in over 52 years. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, I will take a look at TV streaming platform Roku, symbol R-O-K-U on the NASDAQ. The pandemic stay-at-home star is now down 72% year-to-date and 86% from its 2021 highs. A listener asks us if the stock is finally offering value. Aaron is going to take you to school by looking into three things to never do when valuing a stock on a PE or price-to-earnings basis. Brett is going to launch our legendary or famous investor series with a look at a recent, or a recent market darling, Kathy Wood. Wood is an American active investment manager who is the current CEO and CIO of ARK Invest. Incidentally, Roku is one of the top holdings in her flagship fund alongside well-known names such as Tesla, Zoom, CRISPR Therapeutics, and Block. Brennan will handle our star and dog of the week. The dog this week is Datametrics AI Limited, symbol DM on the CSE. It is a Canadian-based IT company focused on machine learning and artificial intelligence, which collects and analyzes data. That's a bunch of buzzwords there. The micro cap is down 35% year-to-date, 61% since its 52-week highs. The star of the week is Enphase Energy, E-N-P-H is the symbol on the NASDAQ, an energy technology company and the world's leading supplier of microinverter-based solar and battery systems. The stock has jumped 25% in the last five trading sessions alone and is up 61% year-to-day. It was the top-performing stock in the S&P 500 in the last quarter, powered by strong quarterly growth. But without further ado, let's get to the show. I'm going to welcome my co-host, Aaron Brennan. And Brett, did you have a good long weekend? We had one out here on the West Coast. Sure did. It was hot in Saskatoon, got up to plus 34. So, you know, that was pretty What's nice. It's like there now, Brennan, because it's cooled down here a lot. Uh, like we were, I was literally drowning in a puddle of my own sweat this weekend. I had a lot of outside work to do. And that is a uh, good it was visual. like for Vancouver anyways, like 30 degrees, 31 degrees, high 20s. That's pretty hot, right? It's we're cooled uh, down now. Yeah. We're, we're down for 24 today. We're soft. Yeah. 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 You don't need so to now, tell me that. Now it's cooled down. Now it's cooled down. So I think we're in like the low 20s today. It's great. So a nice. Same yeah. Same here. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Brennan, I wanted to put you in the crosshairs here. Uh, being from Saskatoon, Uh-oh. myself and uh, Aaron being from BC. Oh, I, I watched the game too. Salt into the wounds last <laughs> Friday. The BC Lions. 
played the Saskatchewan <laughs> Rough Riders. BC put up a second half beat down on the Riders to end with a 32-17 win. Yep. Once again, proving why BC's uh, dominance over Saskatchewan and by proxy, our dominance over Brennan continues to go forward. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. What do you have to say for yourself after that, Brennan? I did watch the game. Were um, you at the game? It was a good game. I was not at the game. No, I was uh, in a living room watching the game, uh, drinking cheap beer. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, no, it was a good game. But yeah, BC's got a really good team this year. I mean, I'm not a football fan. Uh, but that's what I hear. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I would ask you're too. Worried, what a- you were before the game. All of a sudden, now Brendan's not a football fan. Before the <laughs> what game, else that's do you all have he's to do. About. What else does he um, have to do on a Saturday night in Saskatoon or Friday night? Sorry, in Saskatoon. I mean, what else could you? Saskatoon's a party down? town. Brendan's out. Look he's, through Cedar. Um, I gotta say, you know, Aaron, I I think Brendan's lying to us because I actually have some evidence that Brendan was at the game can you put that picture up there brett <laughs> that's pretty so the, damning the, real qu- the question oh, here shoot. is which one of those two is brennan that's what i want to know i'll leave uh, you for people just listening there. for people just listening ryan just put up an image of kermit the frog uh no, all accurate image of brennan exact look <laughs> it's completely the picture image there is no kermit there no, kermit the frog. Uh, i guess that yeah i guess I thought that was Brennan. Yeah. What are you talking about? Like? Yeah, that, 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 that is just Brennan. Just noticed it now. Yeah. That's just Brennan in right face now. paint. Yeah, that's Brennan well. in frog face paint, isn't it? Yeah, All right, well, is, we saw you at is. the game. In, in actual, <laughs> actuality, the game was a well good played. one. The Lions fell behind like 17-4 in the second quarter, and I was like, I'm not going to be able to make any jokes about this on air, but 28 uh, unanswered points, and we dropped the Riders. But uh, in the ne- yep. I think the... By the end of this month or early into next month, we play two more times, Brennan. So you got two more chances at redemption from your team. So we'll see. We'll, yep. we'll bring those uh, to air as those uh, games come. Great minds think alike, too, because as I was watching the game and we were in the lead in the first half, that's what I was thinking. I was like, I'm definitely bringing this up on the podcast. But uh, and then you, yeah, obviously, I wasn't going to say anything. Like yeah. an ostrich and uh, said yep. nothing about it, right? Yeah. Good, yep. good. Good. Well, it's so good to see our dominance. In the markets? Well, I mean, last month was uh, actually great gains. Uh, we had the first half of uh, 2022 being the worst first half in 52 years. I, I, you know, that's quite a, you know, quite a statistic. But and then you had that followed by uh, July being the best month since we had since November 2020. So the stock market kind of bounced back from its worst first half in 52 years with, again, like I said, the best month since November, 2020, uh, the S and P 500 in the U S gained 90, 9.1% in July and 5.3% just in the last three trading days. So that trimmed its year to date losses to 13.3%. On Friday, all of the markets gained, uh, posted gains, essentially Dow gained, uh, for the month, 6.7% in July. Like I said, the S&P was up 9.1%. The NASDAQ, which was the hardest hit, was up 12.4%. As many many people rushed in to get some of those beaten down tech stocks in what uh, was you know, technically a bear market. I have heard analysts rationalize July's gains uh, with the thinking that recessionary fears were kind of already priced in and the second quarter earnings over the last couple of weeks have generally been better 
than the lowest expectations out there that investors were bracing for. I think kind of the danger in thinking this way is that if earnings were expected to be essentially whale crap right at the bottom, uh, they landed somewhere just above, you're kind of still floating in toilet water. So. <laughs> Right. You know, thanks, Brennan. You know, I, I think that it's 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 really it's really a bit of a mixed bag, right? That's what I'm getting from Q2 yeah. earnings season here. You've got some companies mm -hmm. that are coming out um, and saying that they're still they're still feeling strong demand in their industry. They're investing, they're hiring. You've got other companies that are saying the opposite. Um, but you know, if you look at like say you look at stories like um, like a Microsoft or a Google, we talked about their earnings last week. You know, those are a couple companies like Google, for example, or Alphabet the parent company, um, earnings, analysts expect earnings to be flat this year, right? So one would think like, okay, we'll slow down in growth and that would be negative. But they've had such a great run last year. They had such a great earnings um, period last year um, and just a great trend in earnings growth over the last you know decade plus that having, you know, stalling out after such a, a banner year in 2021 for them and just having flat earnings to me is, is still a win, right? You're just, you're, kind of reconsolidating at a new base um, from which you can continue to grow. And then Microsoft as well. I mean, we were looking at uh, earnings per share growth in the range of, you know, 15 to 35% over the last year to two. Um, whereas in their last quarter, they came out, you know, better revenue, I think about 12, 15%, um, but earnings were up only about 8% or so. And, but that's still considered a win because the, this company has, set, has had, had such a great run Really tough comparables too. Just the last right, year, yeah, really tough right? comparables. Like so you're you're consolidating at at a new base here, right? Then you've had other stories. I mean, you've had you know you've you've had Meta. Um, that's definitely you know hit harder times. Um, you've had other CEOs like from AT &T, and we'll talk about Roku today, right? Like on right, which yeah. probably deserves to be hit, right? Like yeah, I mean, it's a huge. I mean, it's a huge mix. Yeah. But a lot of those pandemic mm -hmm. stocks, like the Zoom, it's going to be a couple years before they, the docu-sign, before they start to start to grow again, right? Well, and like um, pricing it, talking about pricing in that uh, recessionary fears. I mean, for us, we just ran the numbers in our technology report. I mean, Aaron ran them and, and uh, you know, we looked at 10 year historical valuations and we talked about this pendulum. It had gone this way. It kind of came back to just medium or just slightly above the average. So in my opinion, I mean, that's not pricing in the higher risk would imply like, I think you gotta, you gotta go below those 10 year average valuations to be pricing in anything like recessionary risk going forward. So I think it's a bit of a lazy analysis if you're talking about it just being priced in already, and then investors are already looking forward. So I think like Aaron's, really, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think that's really the recency ahead, bias. Yeah, that, that's recency yeah. bias right there. We're seeing yeah. these last two years, we've hit that mania. Everyone's like, oh, this is the new normal. It's the new normal, like that's the post-COVID thing, new normal. And we're seeing that in the stock market that some analysts are saying, hey, we're back to normal. Here's the, these, these stocks are looking underpriced now because a year ago, they were two, three times higher. It's still high. New normal is is a yeah. dangerous terminology. It's so dangerous because we've seen that been applied to so many things over the years. This is the new normal, right? And it just, valuations tend to revert back to the mean at some point. And they do. And let's just that. take a look at overall valuations for a moment because there's been so much focus on stocks declining and great value emerging. So Ryan, can you unshare your screen for a second? Oh, that's me. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Quit blaming me. Sure. Jesus. <laughs> 
your article. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Yeah, and, and Schiller P. I'm going to just like, uh, do a little. Grab share. the Schiller so P. Is, I'll just talk. Yeah. You want to go into the Schiller so, P? No, right I'm just going to yeah. go into this okay. here. Yeah. Um, so this is the Schiller. So this is the price to earnings multiple of the S and P 500 basically over the last 150 years. And you can see here, we're sitting right now at about 30, 31 times earnings, right? So we're still priced relatively, I mean, relative to, you know, historical averages, we're still, we're still at a premium valuation. I mean, the only time higher was just recently. And then over here, this was the peak of the dot-com dot com, yeah. bubble. But when you look yeah. at, I mean, if you're talking about like, what, what is an average ratio? Well, an average ratio is about half of what we're seeing right now. So even now, um, you know, we're really, uh, we're, we're not anywhere near what we would consider to be blood in the streets valuations in any industries. Now, these are also market averages. We're, we're as stock pickers, we don't look at the market average so much. We don't spend yeah. a lot of time on that. We're looking at extraordinary opportunities or niche opportunities where you can get a good solid growth company at you know, reasonable price or an undervalued price. And there are those opportunities that exist selectively. But if we just want to look at overall tech valuations, as Ryan talked about, or overall market valuations, uh, we're not, I mean, we're not at a place where we could actually say the market is, is objectively cheap. No, no, it's not really actually close in some segments, right? And, and talking about pricing in that, you know, the tracing in some of the uh, aggressive rate cuts and the increases in inflation, um, for me, consumer spending doesn't halt. Like the numbers that you're looking at in those quarters that have all come out are April, June, right? So it's, it's a great there's point. a lagging yeah. effect that you're going to see in terms of uh, whether consumers go out there and halt their spending or at least slow their spending. That doesn't totally show up in those numbers yet. We'll look at the next quarter and the quarter after that where we've had these significant rate hikes and you've seen inflation really start to bite into your you know, your paycheck and, and when you go to the like, grocery store, like it's really, you're feeling that everybody's feeling that now that's not going to, you know, I don't think that was going to halt spending in April, but will it start over the summer months and into the fall? We could definitely see something like that happen. So I think there's a bit of a lag there and we'll see how that affects future quarters and how we see uh, consumer spending pull back and consumer spending drives the U S economy. So we'll see how that affects earnings going forward. I'm not sure if we've just absolutely priced it in uh, with that drop that we saw over the first. Well, one thing, I mean, we're still yeah. right now, we're at record unemployment, right? So yeah. at least at the very least, I mean, we are, people have jobs and yeah. you can't spend record employment a job. Levels, so yeah, yeah record, record, um, sorry, record employment, record yeah, low yeah, unemployment. Yeah, yeah. We uh, know what you mean. So. So as long as the labor market remains strong, I mean, you, you would expect there's going to be fairly robust consumer spending as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah and yeah, we'll sure. see like the July, I believe the non-farm payroll comes out this Friday in the U.S. So, I mean, we'll see how many jobs the U.S. economy adds here. Um, I guess, yeah, a couple Which, days. Which yeah, we want to see that. I mean, the whole point so. of all this mm -hmm. rate, these rate increases is we actually want to see that slow. Um, we want to see sure. some weakness in the in yeah. the in the in the labor market um just just to just to stem back some of the some of the pressures that companies are feeling higher wages higher prices um obviously higher wages is a good thing but not if your wage is still not keeping up with with the inflation so another interesting uh, thing too or sorry to cut you off aaron uh if you had more to go 
Go ahead, really sorry. Yeah, keep going. Um, I was. Uh, I am really sorry. You will sorry. be sorry, Brandon. Uh, <laughs> I'm already plotting my revenge. No, you know, ahead, this Brandon. is just a little bit of a tangent, but you know, supposedly President Joe Biden will also decide on the student loan forgiveness and payment pause uh, this month. So I think that that's also going to be very interesting just in regards to sentiment, um, you know, because I mean, I, from my understanding, I believe, uh, you know, the president could end up wiping away 300 to $350 billion of, you know, student loans, um, which, you know, going forward could lead to further inflation if he does. Um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see what he does here going forward. Um, and just, you know, what happens with sentiment in general, because of course, you know, that's not going to change, free money. you know, yeah, exactly. You know, so it's okay. more free money. Um, it's going to be pay. interesting to see. Yeah. It's, uh, no, no, it is interesting yeah. for sure. So do, do you guys, should we get into our, your stock, our take or Aaron, do you want to, do you want to do your education? I'm going to do uh, Roku then. It's time we answer a question on your stock in a little segment we like to call your stock our take buy sell or hold so let's take a look at roku for our your stock our take segment a question came in on roku symbol roku on the nasdaq trades around 77 dollars market capital 10.6 billion what does the company do roku they operate a streaming tv platform roku devices are small streaming boxes and streaming sticks that connect to your television the company essentially puts streaming content from netflix spotify hulu disney plus and more with subscriptions required in an easy to search place on a tv screen they've also started producing their own content so roku was a pandemic stay-at-home star it's down 70 percent year to date 83 percent from its 2021 highs on thursday of last week the stock dropped another 23% after reported Q2 gap earnings per share of 82% negative, uh, which is a miss of 13 cents. Revenue was 764 million. Uh, that was a miss by 40 million. So adjusted EBITDA in the quarter was also a loss of 12.1 million down from a gain of 122.4 million. Strong historical growth rate that we've seen from this company, but minimum to minimum to negative operating income historically. Um, while the negative turn in operating income and adjusted EBITDA, as well as weaker revenue growth in Q2, were not ideal. What really crushed the shares was management's Q3 go forward outlook. The market is always looking forward. They cited a weak economic environment defined by recessionary fears, inflation pressures, rising interest rates, and ongoing supply chain disruptions. The company then guided for net revenues to increase only 3% year over year to 700 million. Adjusted EBITDA would be negative in Q3, 75 million from a positive 131 million in Q2 2021. The company also withdrew its full year revenue growth rate estimate. Uh, from a valuation perspective, Roku trades with a price to sales of 3.15, which is significantly below the tech segment, but it is not profitable on a gap basis. And its enterprise value to EBITDA is in the range of 150. It will go higher in the near term as well, based on that guidance. Uh, in the end, the company has great products. I've used them, but despite the massive share declines, the valuations remain high and the stock does not meet our criteria of growth at a reasonable price. Growth is slowing, earnings remain elusive for this company, so we'd avoid it 
it just doesn't make our criteria right now. And it's Any comments? One of those, one yeah. of those many stories, right, uh, in the technology mm -hmm. space where you have. I think it's a good company. company like I, I've used their products. Less the profitability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, certainly a customer as well. But, you know, for us, we, we really believe that the profitability validates the business model. I mean, a, a company can only afford to operate um, and burn cash flow for so long. Eventually, the market is going to want to see them transition into a profitable situation. And, you know, it's really, it's, it's, they're unproven until they can start producing um, cash flow and profitability on the bottom line. And that's, that's really the bottom line for us. So, yeah, you know, and, and one big threat that I'd like to bring up competition in this space as well. Yeah, Brandon. there is. And yeah, that's what I was going to get to is one big threat here is you did. Um, but you know, when I was, uh, I guess on Friday, when I was watching the Saskatchewan Rough Riders get slapped by BC, um, I actually had this conversation with uh, one of my friends because he used to use a Roku box all the time. However, uh, he ended up just recently purchasing a 75-inch TV, which is why we always go over there to watch. And his smart TV now replaces the Roku box. Mm. So his Roku box is now sitting in his shelf collecting dust. Uh, his TV is way better. Everyone's going to be, I mean, I don't know many TVs that aren't smart anymore. Even, you know, I bought one from Costco for 450 bucks, like a 42 inch and it's still smart. So I think that that's a, a big threat to the business. Um, you know, I, I think it's a good business uh, other than, you know, just the other fundamentals. Other than the fact but, that uh, your friend and everybody else is putting all in the Saskatchewan hates it. And yeah, it's a little... Yeah, that's actually a good point because I, I have a Roku and I use the Roku, but the, 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 I don't actually have a smart TV. I bought my TV uh, 12 years ago and it's still like it still works fine. It's a nice flat screen 50 inch, but I bought it right before the smart TVs came out. Yeah. Right. So mm -hmm. I don't know enough about Roku to say what the value proposition is for people that have mm -hmm. smart TVs or how much of a uh, competition that is, but I'm literally probably the only person I know now that doesn't have a smart TV. Well, I think that's really why they're pushing into the content creation. They know that they have a limited market. They have only a, probably a few years to go as people's older TVs start to die. Like your 12 year old TV, it's, yeah. it's not going to have another 12 years in it most likely. So oh, they're, they're running a borrowed time. You, you think you can get that 12 years in, 24 years? I didn't think I'd get 12 years out of it. So who knows? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, no, that's, like that's case in point. I, basically, what you're saying is I'm, I'm a dinosaur. I'm a dying breed. No, well, you're, just, my... you're just afraid. You're afraid the smart TV will outsmart you and take over and achieve, <laughs> achieve intelligence. And, and I'm uh, actually going to say that I'm house. setting a low bar for my TV, right? <laughs> yeah. <that's laughs> okay, see where this is going? Uh, <laughs> oh, poor Aaron. Good discussion. Yeah, no, it's good. Always to rip on Aaron. It's just great. No, okay, so um, Aaron, now now coming from there, now we have to make you uh, look smarter. You're going to try to make yourself look smart. You're going to go through uh, kind of in our educational segment. Uh, you're going to take our listeners and our viewers to school by looking at three things to never do when valuing a stock on a PE or price to earnings basis. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll disagree. My job here is not to make myself look smart. My job here is to educate. And the price to earnings ratio is a topic that we discuss a lot. Uh, we get a lot of questions on, so I'm happy to do this. I'm just going to share my screen here. 
It's called a Segway camera. And get this going. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Silence, please. (laughs) All right, everyone. Can you can you see me? Yep. We can excellent. Okay, so the topic of this educational segment is three things to never do when valuing a stock on PE or price to earnings. The P ratio is honestly, it's one of the most commonly used and widely known metrics for valuing a stock. The reason it's easy to understand and implement, we use it all the time ourselves. The problem is that it is also subject to misuse and some pretty costly mistakes. So what are the three things you never do when valuing a stock with PE? Number one, don't use an earnings figure without knowing what goes in it. There are a lot of sources where investors can go to get the earnings per share figure for a company or even a calculated PE. They might go to a financial website. They might go right to the company's income statement or other various reports, presentations, and articles. But you really have to beware about these sources of information because a lot of times they're going to give you earnings figures that are not accurate and are actually, in some cases, highly misleading. So what are some of the reasons why this information can be misleading? While one would be common errors in digital data, we see this all the time. This is why you can never just take the earnings figure or a PE ratio from a website and trust that. You have to confirm it yourself. Complicated and messy accounting. A lot of non-cash gains and losses that really muddy the waters of what the real earnings are. Uh, Aggressive adjustments for management when they're calculating non-GAAP or adjusted earnings per share. And sometimes also fraud and intentional overstatement of earnings. So let's take a look at this example. So this is a company which, if you look to the bottom line of its income statement, looks like it's transitioned into profitability with $69 million of net income. But when we look deeper into the financial statement, we can see that there are a lot of line items here that are adding to this earnings figure, which aren't real. They aren't real economic cash flow based items. We have unrealized gain and changes on fair value of assets, unrealized gain on derivatives. That's $166 million gain in this period. Lots of unrealized gains, foreign exchange, recovery of receivables. These these items have no economic consequence for you as an investor, and they need to be factored out when calculating earnings and calculating a PE ratio. You want to know what's real? Cash flow, the cash flow statement. And if we go to the cash flow statement of this company for the same period, we can see that there's actually a negative cash burn of over $81 million. So highly misleading earnings reported on the income statement. This isn't necessarily the company trying to be misleading. This is just the way that accounting works. You need to dig into the numbers. You need to make adjustments where necessary. But the fact of the matter is most financial websites and articles, they don't pick up the real earnings. They'll just pick up the reported figure. Number two, never rely on trailing earnings as a reliable indicator of future earnings. The market wants future growth. It's common practice to to calculate the PE using earnings over the past 12 months. The benefit being, you know what these earnings are. But the problem here is that the market only cares about future earnings, not the past. The market is always looking forward. Low PE ratios often signal the market's expectation that earnings are going to decline in the future. Let's take a look at this company. You may come across it and see that it's a $35 stock that generated over $20 per share in earnings in 2021. This puts the valuation at 1.7 times earnings. A 1.7 PE, that sounds really cheap. But when we look forward, we get a different picture. 
Based on analyst consensus expectations, earnings are expected to decline, decline around two thirds, losing two thirds of their earnings by 2023. This means that the price to earnings ratio when we look forward is actually much larger. It goes from 1.7 times to 4.7 based on 2023 expected earnings. Now you may still think that this is a cheap PE multiple, but you still have to look at what the real P multiple is and not what the PE multiple is based on past earnings per share. And as we look forward, if earnings can continue, if earnings continue to decline, this P multiple can also continue to increase 10 times, 15 times, 20 times, and it can keep going. Number three, never assume that a low PE ratio means a stock is cheap or a good investment. Most stocks, although not all, but most are appropriately valued most of the time. So why would a company trade at a low PE multiple? There's a lot of reasons. Maybe the market sees it as very high risk, cyclical, or there's high uncertainty in the underlying business. Maybe it has too much debt on the balance sheet. Or quite commonly, the market just expects the revenue and the earnings to decline in the future. Finding stocks with low P.E. ratios is really easy, but the job of a good stock picker is figuring out why the P.E. ratio is where it is. Let's look at this case study, International Business Machines, IBM. Over most of the last 10 years, investors have been able to buy this stock at a P.E. ratio ranging between 10 and 15 times earnings. This is a substantial discount to the overall technology sector, where valuations over this period were 30, 40, 50 times plus earnings. So why so cheap? Well, when we look at the financials, we get the answer, declining revenue, declining earnings per share. The result, massive underperformance relative to those companies that were trading at higher valuations. Over the last 10 years, IBM stock was down 24% compared to a 450% gain of the NASDAQ 100. The bottom line, Stock picking is an art and a science. The science is in analyzing the available data, but there's no formula, there's no simple calculation that's gonna tell you whether or not a stock is undervalued or a good investment. You need to understand the underlying business. How stable are the earnings? Is the company healthy? Is the market healthy? Are the earnings expected to grow, decline, or just stay flat for the next several years? You have to make any necessary adjustments to the earnings before you rely on them. And that takes looking at the financials, a deep look at the financial statements. Keep in mind, low P stocks are typically cheap for a reason and high risk, not always, but typically. The best strategy, focus on high quality growth oriented companies that can be purchased at reasonable valuations. Not the cheapest companies, certainly not the most expensive. And finally, we'll just end with a quote from Warren Buffett. It's far better to buy a wonderful company at a fair price than a fair company at a wonderful price. And on this, we agree 100% Warren. Good job. Thank you. That was a, a really good summary. Um, like point number one, uh, you, you talk about knowing what goes into those earnings and, you know, don't just take them from any financial site. I, I can't, I, I can't even, I can't even remember how many times we've had somebody say, oh, I looked on Quest Trader, I looked on TD and, you know, oh, this company that you recommend is trading at a hundred times earnings. And, you know, because they're looking at those, uh, Published or it's trading at two times earnings. Or yeah, or yeah. here's another company that you didn't recommend. How could you not? This is trading at two times and it's a bunch of, you know, um, unrealized gains yeah. that are there. And, and a but financial I, yeah. website, like if you go to yahoo.com, if you go to tmx.com, I mean, you know, most of the time they're just going to have the headline figure. 
right? So, you know, maybe if it's a really clean financial statement, that's an accurate depiction of what the real economic earnings are. Uh, but, but, you know, oftentimes it's not. And sometimes it could be completely, completely misleading and dangerous to use. Um, but sometimes when you're using financial, when you're using a financial website, the number is just wrong. And there's no real reason as to why it's just, it's just a mistake in the data. So that's why when people come to me, they say, you know, I've, I've looked at this company as a key of this, or as earnings of this, I got it off of Yahoo finance. Um, you know, it's fine to take a look at that, but you need to confirm that, that those are the real economic earnings yourself. If that's an accurate. Yeah. And, and it can business. really provide an opportunity. Like when you dig into the numbers and I, I like to bring up real world examples. We've looked back to when we looked at expel originally, uh, yeah, five years ago, I, I, you know, it's stated P if you went to any website was, you know, 25 or 30 or 40 in that range, but you stripped out some of the one time items that they had in there. And it was really 10 to 15 and it was growing at a rate of like 30, 40%. So it was actually the definition of growth at a reasonable price. When, if you'd looked at the actual numbers that you could find on a Yahoo finance or somewhere else, it, it looked like either fairly valued or maybe slightly overvalued. So it's a real opportunity to find these companies if you dig into, and you had uh, point number three that, or two there about, and it applies to, and you had Stelco on there, applies great in great respect to technology companies because you can have a company, like you said, trading at two times earnings, but if it's decline, it's the underlying commodity that it's priced off of is looking, is going down going forward. You know, even if it is a low PE, um, the market doesn't like declining earnings, right? So you're not going to, you're probably not going to have the return you expect, or you can have a significant decline because it can turn to negative. And then you've gone from what is a low PE to a massive PE uh, based on trailing quite quickly. So those are good things to look into. Any other comments, you two? Or Aaron? Well, any other comments? Sure. I just commented for, <laughs> for 10 minutes. Well, no, I mean... Maybe you get maybe you just looked into this so much you got so much you want to barf out. You know, today I, that, I don't know. You never know. On and on, but I mean, I think yes, we made our true. point. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Good presentation too, it, by the way. Look at that brown noser. Anyways. So. <laughs> well, thank <laughs> you. You see that? I'm kidding. Oh, I'm so sorry. So okay. Now um, we could get into uh, Kathy Wood. We're going to get yeah. into our kind of legendary or uh, famous um investor series we're going to look at recent market darling kathy wood and brett is going to look there into kathy are. wood right now he's got a little presentation there she is perfect yeah there we are yeah we're, we're going with investor spotlight that's that's what i ended up on because good we don't want to just cover the legendary ones that's that was our initial yes. pitch was legendary ones but we, we want to cover both sides we want to cover kathy's very topical yes topical investors yes. as well yeah. All right. So may not the, be a legend. We'll see. Yeah. We will see. <laughs> just just a little foreshadowing there. Yeah. All right. For those who don't know, Kathy Wood is an American active investment manager who is the current CEO and CEO CIO of Ark Invest, founding it in 2014. She has over 40 years of investment experience, previously working at Alliance Bernstein, the CIO, co-founding the hedge fund Tupelo Capital Management, as well as working at Geniston Associates in the Capital Group. She is a thematic investor. Her investments allocation focuses on our five big ideas, 
artificial intelligence or AI, battery technology, blockchain, robotics, and gene sequencing. These are all emerging technologies and industry GCs as significant disruptors to the status quo. Due to being disruptors, she believes that the industries will provide higher returns than traditional industries. To sum up her investment philosophy, a quote from her, we are dedicated completely to disruptive innovation. Innovation solves problems. Her flagship fund is ARK Innovation ETF, symbol ARKK on the New York Stock Exchange ARCA. The top five equities in the ETF are Tesla, Zoom Video Communications, Roku, which Ryan went to, will be going over, or he did go over at this point. CRISPR Therapeutics and Block. Aligned with her philosophy, these are all growth companies and are five disruptive sectors. She's an active manager, meaning she will rebalance her portfolio based on her own outlook in contrast to passive management style, which replicates an index. Investing in the future sounds great, with a long-term perspective, right? We would agree investors should take a long-term perspective, but that does not guarantee long-term returns. She has not been very successful in recent years as the market became bearish. The ARK ETF has returned 48% over the past five years versus the NASDAQ 100 index returning 118%. The ARK ETF was producing a higher return until early this year, but as the market collapsed, Kathy's funds were dropped by more. Why is that? She is a strong believer in these technologies and was willing to pay any price which during the post-pandemic bull run got higher and higher misaligned prices from the fundamental valuations. This is our main criticism of her style, paying any price for a company. No matter how strong a company is, you can always pay too high of a price for that company. Investing in growth stocks in emergency emerging industries has always had higher risk, especially in the main phases like 2021. When you do buy growth stocks at these high prices like she had, you're accepting even higher risk and need them to pay off. Most of her holdings do not have positive historic earnings, and if they do, they're very low in respect to price. Being true to her style, she's accepted these risks of no earnings for the expectations of extremely high earnings in the future implied by the high price. She believes that not holding innovative companies has a higher risk than investing in entrepreneurs and startups. Her current market expectations look into the 2030s, and we will likely have to wait until then to see if her picks work out. In summary, she is a visionary, thematic investor who takes higher risk bets on the future. So, did she say that that she's looking to the 2030s, or is that yes. yeah, yeah, that, that's her uh, outlook. Yeah, that's her. Okay, her, Which is, her big okay. ideas. Yeah. So on one in one perspective, yeah. I mean, I think any investor should be looking that far out. But from the perspective of an investment manager, I don't know. I mean, you could basically work half your career and just tell people that you know we're looking forward, we're looking forward. And, and <laughs> exactly. I mean, at some point, you know, at some point, you generally when we're recommending a stock, we're thinking like mm-hmm. one to three years for it to turn out, right? But when you start, we love like, to own it ten years, right? Yeah, we, we love to own like it 10, 10 15, years. But you got to adjust forever, over time, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but at the same time, you know, people don't want to wait. I mean, if you say, you know, you got to wait 10, 15 years for something to work out. I mean, a lot of people don't even have that much time before they retire. And, and other people, you know, they want to have some validation of what their investment manager is doing. Because uh, if you wait 10 or 15 years and then it turns out it doesn't, you've wasted a lot of time. So I don't know. That seems like from an investment manager's perspective, 
that seems like a, a long time horizon to ask people to wait. Well, and, and you look at like what she hasn't included in her fund as well are like the Google, the alphabets of the world or mm -hmm. the Microsofts or uh, like Apple, as far as I understand, like those are not in the fund, but, and you look at how they performed over the last three years relative to say the ARK ETF, um, they've crushed it over that time. Uh, and so, you know, I, I mean, it's fine to have disruptors, but you know, it, if you have no, if you're just like Brett said, you're buying them at any price. I'm not even sure what your investment. I mean, I, I get you're saying the, I believe these will be the disruptors of the future. I guess these are the Googles, the Apples and the, um, you know, the Microsofts of the future, but um, you know, making high conviction bets on them, you're, you're betting more on analyzing the underlying technology, the market than you are like it, it's, opposed to what we look at in terms of we'd like to look at those things, but you want to look at actual businesses that are proven cash flow. And uh, I mean, it, it just, for us buying a business at any price just doesn't make any sense. So yeah. I mean, and we've just noted we that, with structure, you know, if you look that. historically, yeah, there's a lot of companies that, you know, they might look speculative, they might look expensive, they might not be profitable and then they turn out to be great, but there's so many more stories that don't turn out. Right. Whereas there's a lot of stories that, you know, you find them and they're already profitable and then they become more profitable and they grow revenues more. And like those, you know, if you it's not that none of these companies that aren't profitably going to work out, some of them are going to work out. It's just very difficult to figure out which ones will and which ones won't. And for most investors, if, if there's one thing you can do as an individual stock investor to eliminate most of the unnecessary risk. Um, company specific risk of investing, that would be to just focus on companies that are already validating their business by producing positive revenue, cash flow and earnings. Um, if you if you adhere to that one rule, yeah, there are going to be some companies that you miss, um, but there are going to be a lot of losers that you miss. And there are going to be a lot of great companies that you have the opportunity to invest in. Yeah, I think one of the toughest thing in investing is discipline. And, and when you see like the Roku skyrocketing from, you know, the, their $50 range up to 450, you know, I need to get in fear of missing out comes into those. I think one thing that Warren Buffett has always been able to do, which is probably one of his best qualities is he just has not bought into FOMO. He has not chased returns and, and like you see like the ARC fund buying, you know, Roku all the way up, which again, mm -hmm. we, we, we talked about it. It's, it's quite a good company. Like uh, the revenue growth is tremendous, but like, you know, if you would have bought this company last year in the 300, $400 range, you know, got up to uh, 450, uh, it's down at 75. It is going to take a hell of a lot of this company to ever get you back to close to anywhere, even on that company, like in terms of a share price return, um, you just can't pay any price. Even if like, it seems like the theme is I'll pay any price. I just love this company. Uh, there are great companies that over like extended periods will lose money in a portfolio. So, uh, and, and perhaps having the guiding light, like we say, being more the cash flow in a great company. So, and it just doesn't seem to be uh, something that is matching. I know you're trying to forecast future cash flow, but if, if somebody at this fund is forecasting Roku's cash flow in 2030 or 2035, um, 
Yeah, I get good luck. I've got a bridge somewhere <laughs> to sell them to because yeah, good luck. It's not yeah. happening. Like I don't care how good you think you are at forecasts, it's not happening. So. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that's it. That ends it for Kathy Wood. Uh, we'll have many more, uh, more in the legendary. Um, maybe Kathy Wood will prove us all wrong. And all of these companies that she's picked, the top 10 there will all be, you know, the next Apples, the next Alphabets, the next uh, Microsoft's 10 years forward. But um, I'm skeptical at, at this point. Call me a little skeptical. Now, um, Brennan, you're going to end off the show with our star and dog, right? The dog of the week is data metrics. And then our star is end phase. So you want to start with your dirty dog? Sure. I'll start with the dirty dog. (laughs) I don't know. The dirty dog. Okay. Uh, From our stars and dog segment, it's time for this week's dog. Dog of the week is Data Metrics AI Limited DM on the Canadian Securities Exchange or the CSE. Uh, the stock is down 35% year to date and 61% since its 52 week high. And it is currently trading at about 11 cents with a $46 million market cap. Market cap. Now, market crap, Data Metrics is, I mean, basically, this company is kind of a market crapper. But uh, Data Metrics is a Canadian-based information technology company focused on machine learning and artificial intelligence, uh, which collects and analyzes data. And a couple of its use cases are cybersecurity, marketing, and crisis management. The company also has blockchain technology for the collection, storage, transfer, analysis, and presentation of big data. In 2020, they started providing COVID-19-related testing services, concierge medical services, and I can't say that, and telemedicine services. (laughs) And just recently, they made an acquisition within the EV space, which provides mobile EV charging solutions for people with electric cars. So driving the decline here is a reduction in the company's revenue down 43% from its 2021 highs, triggered by a decrease in COVID-19 testing services within its health segment, which made up about 80% of the company's total revenue during the quarter. And the decline in revenue also translated to a collapse in profitability with net income down about 86% from the first quarter of 2021 and potential further declines ahead as the world pushes on from COVID-19. Now, data metrics is really a do-it-all kind of company. Or we could call it a conglomerate of buzzwords. The company has grown its machine learning and AI segment in the last quarter to 2.1 million, uh, up from just 400,000 in Q1 of 2021, which is good. But its COVID-19 related revenue has absolutely collapsed. And the business is making some big bets on its telehealth or MediCall app which is expected to start generating revenue in Q3 of 2022. And it's only beginning to scale its EV charging business. Uh, The company does have a healthy cash balance of about $16 million with essentially no debt. But the company issued 66 million shares at 15 cents per share for the recent EV charging acquisition. And the company now has 416 million shares outstanding and continues to trade at 50 times earnings. That is trailing. So, uh, you know, looking forward, it might even get more grim. 
So looking forward, shareholders are really gambling that Datametrics can continue to grow its AI and machine learning segment, which it has struggled to do in the past, and successfully launch its new lines of business, which will likely be a drain on its cash balance and profitability. And given the declines in the share price over the past year, it has claimed the title of our dog, our dirty dog of the week. So okay. I, I listed some of these, bud, were AI, machine learning, cybersecurity, blockchain, telehealth, and EV charging. I mean, they just, they're, they're spreading. They're checking their, off their, all the boxes. Yeah, they're the checking off every single box, right? And, and like, that's yeah. the thing is that, you know, businesses are successful and they find out what they're good at. But if you're trying to do everything, how can you really be good at anything? So that's, exactly. yeah, that would be, you know, that would be a... Uh, it's like, it's like you got, you got a really big piece of toast and you only got a tiny bit of peanut butter and you're trying to spread it all the way across and you, <laughs> and you just, it, it just ends up, you know, oh, last, it ends up being toast. Yeah. yeah. You got nothing at the end except for toast, right? That's the whole gag. Yeah. But I mean, or in this case, oh, I love it. Yeah. I mean, mm. it. I mean, I did look, they had in their AI business, apparently they signed a $40 million contract for some part. I mean, it, it looks like, and they generated revenues. I mean, make some money off the COVID um, test kits. That's great. But, um, you know, there's just a complete lack of focus and it's not big enough to be like an absolute conglomerate, right? So you couldn't have these massive divisions. Um, I, you know, yep. for us, it's just... Uh, it's something that we're, we're looking at, not in terms of investment, but just as a curiosity, really. Yeah, and we came across it in the, in the, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. But we came across yeah, it in the CEDAR sweep. And, true. you know, something that I could also add, too, is yeah. in 2019, the company was actually mining cryptocurrency, which I did leave out because oh, yeah. there was something that happened with the acquisition that ended up going astray. Um so yeah, I it does seem to be to touch on it what is the hot sector. Hmm, let me just take the wind, which way yeah. it's blowing that way. And, yeah, you know, I mean, at least there's some names that we see like this that never generate a dime of revenue. At least this company has generated some revenue, right? And me as the yep. largest shareholder, and that's why I'm pointing that out, right? But I'm kidding. I, I don't and they were making shares. massive profit with their COVID testing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's obviously going away. Yeah. And well, let, let's get on there. to uh, our star of the week, uh, a company that yes. actually, like I pointed out, it, I believe it was the best performing stock uh, in the entire S&P 500 in the last quarter, certainly in the last couple of days of the quarter, for sure. That's Enphase Energy, so, E-N-P-H on the NASDAQ, right? Yeah. So I'll just repeat what Ryan just said. So uh, from our stars and dogs segment, it's time for this week's star. 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 star of the week is Enphase Please. Energy Inc., E-N-P-H, on the NASDAQ. Uh, the stock gained approximately 25% in the last five trading sessions and is up 61% year to date, where it now trades at about $298 with a $40.4 billion market cap. Now, Enphase Energy is a global energy technology company which provides a semiconductor-based microinverter system that converts energy at the individual solar module level and brings a system-based high-technology approach to solar energy generation, storage, control, and management. 
Now, Enphase has shipped more than 45 million micro micro inverters and over 2 million Enphase-based systems have been deployed in more than 135 countries. So driving the share price gains are the company's record Q2 2022 financial results announced last week on July 26th. Uh, Revenue was up 68% to $530 million, exceeding its upper end of guidance, which was $520 million, so they beat it by $10 million. Diluted adjusted earnings per share was up 102% to $1.07, and the company generated a free cash flow of about $192 million in the quarter. Plus, uh, looking forward, the momentum in its financial results appears to be keeping pace with Enphase's Q3 guidance displaying sequential revenue growth of approximately 15% at the midpoint over Q2. Now, Enphase has a slight net debt balance on its balance sheet, but it, it has a nice healthy balance sheet and it does trade with a trailing price to adjusted EPS multiple of 93 times, uh, which does not appear cheap. But like uh, Aaron said, you know, going over the PE, um, the stock has been growing phenomenally. Uh, so we would really have to dig into the forward numbers to see if it is trading at reasonable multiples here. So I kind of brought it full circle. Uh, yeah, I'll give myself a pat on the back. So anyway, <laughs> it's a company that we're familiar with because we've had um, coverage on their chief competitor in the United States, actually, which is Solar Edge. SEVG and I took a look at Solar Edge. They as well, they've had a huge move up in their share price over the past month here. So this is, you know, likely a, a sector wide thing uh, as, you know, more attention gets drawn on the fact that um, solar energy can be an alternative to um, for, for residential houses. So that's interesting. I'm just going to take a look at, um, yeah, so analysts expect this year for Enphase earnings to be average analyst estimate is about 396 compared to 241 last year. So big jump up in earnings expected and then $4.74 um, next year. But we're still we're still looking at a pretty massive price to earnings multiple here. Um, yeah, it's well, I mean, about 61 times next year. So, I mean, it's it's not, you know, if depending on what the growth is, it's 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 maybe not completely out of the ballpark. But one of the reasons why we had put a hold on uh, Solar Edge, I believe roughly around just before or as the the um, pandemic was starting was because the valuation had just gotten so high and we'd seen growth starting slow. So certainly not a cheap industry. Yeah, and our, in the renewable energy segment to the market, uh, we do have a top pick there, which is also performing quite well. And our clients know that company. It's yielding uh, still almost 3.5%, but it's had tremendous share price run over the course of this year. And we continue to like it, think it trades under our fair value around the $25 range, and it's just under 23 today. So it continues to do quite well. I think that is going to end off our show for this week. I'd like to say uh, we got great feedback so far on the YouTube show. Uh, Go there, view it, hit the subscribe, smash that subscribe button. Uh, Shout outs, shout outs also to the comments we got. Uh, TK, thanks for your comment. Uh, Paul, that he said the tweet analysis was pure gold. Uh, we're going to keep coming forward with, uh, some ridiculous tweets. We didn't see as many ridiculous tweets or funny or informative tweets this week. I'm sure we'll have some for next week. We'll find some. Yeah. TK talked about, uh, 
really looking forward to management interviews. We're booking some now, so we should have those uh, in the coming months. Uh, and, and yeah, just Nordlav, thank you for your comment. JP, thanks. And uh, keep your comments coming. We'll shout out to as many people as we can each week. Uh, and go to if you're listening to this just as a podcast, go um, and uh, subscribe on iTunes and uh, leave us a review there, hopefully positive. I'd like to wish everybody out there uh, profitable investing. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.